Interested in assisted living homes? Check out five plus reasons to start investing in 2022. I'm your host, Matthew Ma, and welcome to the Truth About Real Estate podcast. In today's episode, we're chatting with Isabella Smith, who was recently named as one of the top influencers in senior housing. I'm excited to talk with you, Isabella. Welcome I'm to the show. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Cool. So I wanted to really, you know, talk to you and really understand, you know, what's assisted living uh, investing? What is it all about? Like, and why uh, are people um, looking forward to doing that? Yeah. Well, with residential assisted living, it's kind of a different way of real estate investing than maybe single family homes or Airbnbs, right? This is not just real estate investing. You can also be operating a business. So we teach many different ways of getting involved. One is owning the real estate and the business. One's just owning the real estate. And then third, just being a JV partner or lender on a project with someone. So not even owning the real estate. So lots of different ways you can kind of get involved. And a reason you may want to get involved is because of the trends, the demographics. When we look at the charts and we see what's happening in the future, the baby boomers are coming. And there's um, 76 million of them. 70% will need daily care for an average of three and a half years. There's a massive opportunity and the demand completely outweighs the supply. There's just not enough supply right now. So it's a great opportunity to get in and the timing couldn't be better. So let's talk about that. Let's break it down. So first off, what what is residential assisted living? Yeah, it's a group home for seniors in a residential setting. So a single family neighborhood, but don't think three bedroom, two bath. Think luxury, upscale, larger, you know, single family homes, right? Um, But it's a single family home that's housing seniors who need help with activities of daily living, which is pretty much everything that you do from the moment you get up out of bed to the moment you go to bed at night. So they might need help bathing or going to the bathroom, getting up out of bed, eating, taking medication. So it's a home that's housing six to 16 of those seniors with 24-7 care and help with those activities of daily living. So for example, if you think about the home itself and you're buying the home as investment as in this category, the first part of it I would ask is, is there special permitting, special requirements and licensing I need to, to be able to do that with the home? Can I do it anywhere, any area? You can do it anywhere, but there are licensing that you're going to get. You're definitely going to want to make sure that you've done the research to determine it's the correct market. So for assisted living, what we're looking for is demand, density, and demographics. You're going to want to be where that 50 to 70-year-old who's upper middle class in a suburban area, typically a homeowner. You're going to want to be near them because that's what we call the daughter duty, right? That's the adult child who's typically paying for mom or dad to live in your home. And they don't want to drive 40 minutes outside of town to go visit mom or dad. They want to go right around the corner and visit them on the way home from work. So really that demographic search is the first key to finding where the home should be. And then licensing will be through the state. So they're going to come in and make sure that the home is senior safe. I always joke, if you have to be Tom Cruise to get out of the house, it's probably not senior safe. So, you know, you're going to want to make sure that it's nice and safe, Um, The fire marshals in your area will give you that stamp of approval and that license on the house. Okay. So the first part of it you mentioned too, we'll start off with is that, okay, if you're looking to invest into residential assisted living, um, there's different categories of investing into the cat into it. So one, if I'm just a pure investor, I don't want to run the business and I just want to buy the asset and help uh, facilitate it with another partner or someone else. Um, 
first part, how do you do invest into this category? Yeah, so that would be purchasing the real estate, renovating it to become a licensed assisted living facility, getting that license on the physical home, and now you're leasing it to someone who's going to run that business. You might be charging twice the fair market rent because you've done a lot of the heavy labor. You've gotten this home prepped and ready. You've gotten it licensed. You've done all those retrofitting and renovation, right? You've saved this operator a lot of time and energy. So that's kind of what you're bringing to the table as the real estate investor. That contract with them, it's not short-term. It's not a one-year contract. Usually it's three, five, eight. We've seen upwards of 10-year contracts. So this is a long-term, low-impact tenant. They're keeping the home meticulously clean at all times. No pit bulls, you know, being raised in the living room. No motorcycles being deconstructed anywhere. Teenagers punching holes in the wall. No, this is being kept pristine and clean. It's seniors, it's 24 seven caregivers in the home. So it's always being, you know, well kept. So you could be getting twice the fair market rent on that property with a long term low impact tenant. And then depending on how you structure the contract with the operator, you might not be in charge of maintenance at all. So you could really, once you've set it up and got this contract in place, be running very passively. Nice. That's good to hear too. So like an investor standpoint, if you're able to get double the market rent, that could be considerable. And, you know, even given the fact that you're spending money buying it, making it ready for senior living and, you know, making it safe for them spending that money. But if you were able to get that double income or double the rent in carry over for three, five, 10 years. Mm -hmm. And even then, I think most likely the people who are running the operations, if they're successful at running a business, then they probably want to stay longer and longer because they already set up that facility, right? Exactly. And that's why they don't want to sign usually a one or two year lease. They want something longer because they're trying to establish a business here. You know, they don't, it's not a fly by night type of thing. They want to really root down and say, this is our place. This is our address. This is where we are. So they'll want to sign a longer contract with you. And a lot of times they'll want to re-up it, or you might be able to offer them an opportunity to renew or an option to buy, you know, and different things like that. They might be working to buy you out of it, right? Paying you for that along the way. However you want to set it up, there's a lot of ways to go about that. Yeah, that's a good point too, because if we're investing money in, you have equity sitting there and the market rises and you have a long-term lease, then you know, even if it's double the rate, then either your option is to try to refinance and take some equity out of it or else sell it to another investor who's willing to buy because the rates make sense. It's already established business and they can keep yep. going exactly. or you sell it at, you know, sell it as is, or you can give the operator a chance to buy it at yep. fair market. So yep. many different options. And that sounds good too. I think for me, a little less liquid in a sense, okay, I have to just define it the right buyer for that type because the next buyer is not just a normal um buyer who's going to buy and move into it because they can't they're going to have to sell to another investor so you just lower your investment pool a little bit but because the numbers make sense already then there's going to be a lot of investors out there who are going to look to buy this anyways Correct. And most of the operators that you partner with, they're going to want to buy this from you. The reason they're leasing from you is because they don't have that capital up front and you do. Right. So they that's their end game goal is to own all of it, because then that's how they're cash flowing the most. So they're always going to want to be first in line, you know, to buy it from you. So it could be set up right then and there in your contract from day one that you're going to be buying me out of this race basically over the years, you know, and, and then you don't even have to search for an investor. They're right there. 
Nice. That's that, yeah. That's a good option too. You can structure it where it makes sense financially for them, and you can. There's a lot of creative ways to sell the property to someone and make it work to a win-win for both parties. Yep. Absolutely. Okay, so that's the first part of investing into the property. Okay, and then you know, mentioned like what markets do people generally do people do, do it in, and like what kind of numbers are you seeing out there? Yeah. So usually suburban areas, right? I know many of your listeners are in San Francisco and that's a tough market, right? Because there's really nowhere to build there. And so it's, it's not happening unless you're going up. Right. So um, that's a tough one, but outside, right. When, when we're going a little bit further out, more suburban areas, that's a great place for this really anywhere in the United States is good. Cause I always say like, raise your hand if you're getting older and know someone who is right. We're all getting older. So, and people just because they're old don't move to Florida or Arizona, right? A lot of people stay where they're from. If they are from Charleston, South Carolina, they're not just going to pick up and move because they're 95. Like they're probably going to stay there. So um, there's opportunity everywhere in every market. We have students in all 50 states. So that's really exciting. And um, suburban areas, that that high-end demographic is always good to target and really just finding out the need in the area. If there's a big box facility that was so like a Brookdale, a Sunrise, an Atrium, that's what I'll, I'll refer to as a big box, right? If they have been recently placed in your community, like there's a new one being built, bingo, that's a great place to put your home because they've already done that research to determine there's a massive need here, right? They're, they're spending millions of dollars on their research and you're doing a quick Google search. But if there's a new facility being built, that's a great place to put your home as well. Nice. Yeah, that's good in care. I always look for big box retailers who are putting their place in, especially in today's market. If they're going into the market, then you know there's a need for it. So yeah. then you, yeah, use Google, use analytics and really analyze, okay, how quickly can I do this? What's the cost associated? And what's the competition rate? And can I get in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for example, how many bedrooms is optimal to start with or like your first property, first investment? So every state has a maximum amount of residents you can have. It falls between six and 16 across the country. So California, your limit is six, unless you get a apply for a variance. And sometimes they'll allow you to have more based on square footage and all sorts of requirements. Right. But let's just go with six. So with six, I would recommend at least a four bedroom, three bath home upwards of six bedroom, six bath home, because most seniors will want a private bedroom, private bath. So if you can accommodate for that, that's amazing. I'm totally okay with having one or two shared options within the home for maybe a couple who moves in or two sisters who move in or a spend down option. Sometimes you have a senior who moves in and picks a private bedroom, private bath, and they're paying $7,000 a month for that. Well, mom or dad lives two years and the kids say, we're starting to run out of money. We thought they were going to pass in seven months, you know? So then they say, we want to keep them in this home, but we can't afford the $7,000 a month. Well, if you have a shared bedroom option, you can say, great, they can stay in the home. They're only going to pay $5,500 here. And now you've got two people in that room paying 55. So it's good to have an option of shared, but I really do recommend private bedrooms, private baths. So in California with six, it's quite feasible with most single family homes to kind of renovate, do an addition, add on and make that work. 
In Arizona, our number, our maximum number is 10. So all the homes we own are 10 bedroom, 10 bath homes. <laughs> nice. We didn't start that way. You know, we had to, we had to make it work. We had to renovate and, and make it happen. But you do want to keep the essence of a home. You want a nice living room, a nice sitting room, a beautiful kitchen, a nice backyard, front yard. If you can add features like a movie theater, a hair salon, a library, those go a long way. So don't think small, how can I cram seniors into a home? No, we're thinking big, beautiful, luxurious, upscale home. Usually a good rule of thumb is three to 500 square feet per person. So with 10 people, minimum a 3,000 square foot house, upwards of 5,000 is very comfortable for them. Okay. And let's take a look at some numbers with that too. Like in general, let's just say San Francisco, let's say Arizona or, or another state, what yeah. kind of, um, how do you charge per, is it per person and how much are they paying averagely monthly per person? Yeah. So the fee to live in the home is based on a multitude of things. First is their setup, right? Are they, are they private bedroom, private bath? Are they private shared? Are they shared, shared, right? So that's going to be kind of like the base fee to live in the home based on what room they have and what setup they have. The second major factor is their level of care. Is this someone who needs a very minor help? Like, you know, they maybe just need help reminding to take their medication. Or is this someone who's a two-person assist who can't go to the bathroom, who can't shower, who can't walk anymore, right? There's a there's varying levels of care that might be needed for this senior. So based on the physical room within the home and then their level of care, that will really help you determine the fee to live in the home. The national average is $4,500 per month per person. California's average is about 5,000. But within the state, every city, every county has a different average, right? Because uh, California is massive. We could break it into three different states if we wanted. So San Francisco, that area, your guys' average is more like $6,600 a month. Yeah. Now, average homes, yuck. I would never put my mom in an average assisted living home, only above average. It's very sad, but the average homes are rough. So you think 65, 6,600 is going to get you something nice? It is not. You're going to need probably in San Fran, most of our students who are running successful homes are charging eight or $9,000 a month per person on average. So there's definitely money to be made there, but the cost of living is very expensive. So you have to make sure that the numbers make sense in that regard. Yeah. Let's go, for example, if you guys are just going, you're going 8,000 average and you times by six people, that's 48,000, right? Yeah. And of course there's costs associated with that. Like, you know, the mortgage of alone is really high, especially in the Bay area. Like even a normal uh, house that you need to fix up, they're starting yeah. like on seven, one, eight, just to fix it, get it. And then if you want a nice house, probably two and a half million plus nowadays, certain yeah. er certain locations, of course, right in the city. But then to do this, they're hitting higher numbers, but I see on average, you know, no more normal homes, more normal price and things like that. But if you want to go build the high end homes, then yeah, these numbers make sense. How many workers do you need to uh, help six people? So we like to recommend a five to one ratio. So if there's five residents, you want at least one caregiver with six people. I would just have two in there. It's going to help your ratios. It's going to be a marketing tactic and tool because in the large facilities, their ratio is about 20 to one. So when you're able to say, 
hey, I've got two people for the six residents. They're like, what? I mean, that's practically one-on-one -on -one care in this industry. That's incredible. And it's a major marketing factor for you. So I agree with the 48 coming in. I, I do just kind of want to run through those numbers. So it makes sense for, you know, your listeners. Let's say the mortgage or lease is $15,000 a month, right? We know it's going to be extremely high out in California. So we'll go with 15, right? The cost of everything to run the whole facility, including your staff, including your food, your activities, your license fees, your miscellaneous, I mean, everything should really only fall right around $20,000 a month. So that one home should really be bringing you in 13K each month as your net profit owning and operating the business, right? So if you owned that real estate, you're maybe making that 15. If you, you know, uh, for as far as the person, like we were talking about in the beginning, if you want to just lease it to someone. And if you're, if you're not doing that, you own the real estate and you're running the business, then you could be cash flowing that 13 a month. So definitely money to be made, even in a market where you're only allowed to have six residents. Yeah, that makes sense too. So, you know, investors who are looking to do this, one is they might have a background in it, their family may be already in it, and they're looking to and keep investing further. So if you're buying the real estate and let's say you buy the real estate yourself, you're going to run your own practice. And the fact that you can, you know, do all the write-offs here, build it up, depreciate it, and now you're running a business. And if you're netting 13K a month on profit on top of it, then, you know, take that with the uh, the real estate too, then there's a lot to be made there. The yeah. trade-off is now, okay, of course, for some, for some investors like me, do I want to be in that business or do I want to be in Airbnb, fix and flows, multi-units, passive income streams? I think it's just a preference of what they're used to, what they like. Yeah. But how do you, how do you scale this? Like, how do you do, scale it further? Yeah, something important to remember when you are deciding, like, if, if the world is your oyster and you're like, what industry is right for me, right? We own the facilities or, or homes, right, and operate the businesses. So we're cash flowing in Arizona anywhere between ten dollars and $18,000 a month on each of the three properties that we own. But I visit the homes maybe once every other month. Uh, I talk to my manager on the phone maybe once a week. So the way we run it is extremely hands-off. And that's what we teach people how to do is, I don't want you to work in this business. I'm not trying to create a job for you. I want you to run it passively, right? I want you to work on the business, not in it. So there are ways to kind of set it up that you can be hands-off and have that maximum amount of cash flow. But I do think it's interesting, you know, with everything happening in our world right now, right? Inflation, possibly a recession, gas prices going up, all this crazy stuff. To me, Airbnb is a terrible thing to invest in right now. I'll say it. I'll be the first to say it if nobody else has. Because when money's tight, the first thing to go is that vacation to La Jolla, is that Euro trip. You're not spending on luxurious things. You're not spending on vacations. You're not, you know, taking all these trips. No, necessities are a great thing to uh, invest in during recession or times when money is going to be tight. This is a necessity. If your loved one needs care, you have two options. You quit your job and take care of them 24-7 or you put them into a facility. I mean, this is something that you don't, just because money's tight, you don't take your parent out of the home. They're staying there. It is one of the most, I don't like to say recession-proof, but recession-resistant industries we've ever seen. In, in, in all of the other ups and downs of the markets, we are unaffected. So it's very, very intriguing because I love the concept of Airbnb, 
But when the world is looking wild, it's not a great place to invest because it's not solid. It's not stable um, unless you're located in an area that's not reliant on tourism or vacations, you know, so it's versus ours is like it's a necessity. Right. So it's just a different way to kind of look at what to invest in. Yeah, I agree with you too. I see like, you know, especially you mentioned earlier, baby boomers. How many of them are there now? 76 million baby boomers. Okay. And there's probably not enough housing for 76 million baby boomers. And no. as every year goes by, there's more necessity to be in an assisted living home versus yep. like you said, Airbnb. I don't need to be there. I don't need to travel. I don't need that. I, I want it, but I don't need it. Right. Yeah. I need to live somewhere. And yeah, so most families they might want to bring their parents into here but it gets harder as the area they live in might be smaller might be bigger might be farther might, might yeah. not be convenient and people working nowadays from home too that's yeah. a lot of people in a home and if you're taking care of them on top of it then that's an extra job on top of it, which is nice to do but at some point you can't really manage all of it yes yeah, so that's why i'm saying we don't teach that you're living in the home this is a real estate investment where i'm not even teaching that you're working in it even if your listeners are in the medical field nurses or doctors I'm still not going to teach you to work in it. That's not what we do at all. It's a real estate investment. So you own the real estate, you own the business and you're running it hands off. So I run eight businesses plus those three homes. There's no way I could do that if I was working in the home at all times, you know, and that's not what our students do. Most of them are like in our trainings, everyone who's on my team, they were past students who opened up homes and now they come back to train. You know, they're out of state. 12 times a year with me teaching other people how to do this. If they were working in the home, they wouldn't be able to do that. So it is definitely a, a passive investment if you set it up properly. And if you are a doctor or nurse, it's a massive feather in your cap to be able to market the home that way. It's doctor owned. It's nurse owned. Doesn't mean you're working in the facility. It's just a label that you're able to then use to maximize your benefit in marketing and, and income. Nice. And when people are starting to learn about it, is do they need to be like like certified in any way? You said like they need to be have um like what kind of certifications do they personally need to do to open the proper uh, facility, or they just start hiring people to manage everything? Yes, because you're not working in the home, you don't need any license. You're mm -hmm. a real estate investor. That's all you are, right? So mm -hmm. the physical home will have a license on it. Like mm -hmm. we talked about that the fire marshal comes to say, is this senior safe, right? Yeah. Doors, windows, things of that nature. And then the licensed administrator who's running all of the day-to-day -day for you, they have a license as well as the caregivers have a license. And those are all required by the state and given by the state. You can go to caregiver training school and get it on online or certain states have different requirements of that nature how hard is it to find to find uh licenses uh license assistance to really manage the properties and manage the you know, facility you know it's really interesting because i know that there's a lot of drama right now going around with employees right people cannot find and keep employees to save their lives. And it's really crazy because in our inner circle Facebook group, I'm constantly seeing, because we have students all over the country, they're all in this group. And so we're always chatting about what we're seeing and the trends and everything like that. And it's so crazy because our students are not having trouble at all finding quality caregivers and quality administrators. If anything, people are so excited to come work in these homes because when you get into a medical field, 
most everyone I know who's a doctor or nurse or LPN, whatever, when you ask them, why did you get into that field? It's because they wanted to care for people. They wanted to help people. And then they get into the hospital or the doctor's office or whatever it is, and they realize this system is broken. I can't do what I was trained to do. I physically can't. There's not enough time in the day. There's not enough manpower. There's not enough hours. And they feel bad. They feel really bad and guilty that they're not able to give the level of care and the quality of care that they wanted to, that they were trained to, that they got into this industry for. So when you offer them an opportunity to come work in a smaller home where it's a five to one or a three to one caregiver ratio, they're blown away. They're thrilled. They're so happy because they know in their heart, I can give that quality, loving care. I can be that person I wanted to be. It gives them literal fulfillment in their own heart and life. And you're able to give them the job that they went into the field for, which to me is really exciting. And I think a main reason why once we get staff, they want to stay. They want to bring their family members to come work with us. They want to bring their friends to come work with us because they realize what an incredible opportunity it is. Nice. And that, that's good too, especially if you can make a really nice house, really nice facility, enjoyable, have activities and have care and have this level of service that you want to provide for that uh, cost associated to it. Yeah. And then as you keep doing that and you have these um, assistants managing the properties and having, you know, the care, um, having that ability to do that and scale it with them and build a team surrounding that, that makes it nicer than some people saying, hey, I'm going to hospital, whatever place, and then dealing with massive amount of people versus just dealing with five or six people who they become family friends with and like really care for them. Exactly. It's an awesome opportunity. Honestly, I think not only like our company's motto is to do good and do well, because you can make a ton of money in this industry, but a ton of money doesn't mean anything unless you're making an impact. So I like to be able to provide jobs for my community, give my family relief that they can come live in my home for free if and when they need it, right? And be providing a benefit to my community as well as cash flow. That's That to me is more exciting than just making a ton of money, you know? So as an investor too, so as an investor, I buy the property, I work, I find even before I buy the property, I might start looking for licensed assistants who want to be a partner with me and buy the property. For example, I buy the property, they run the practice. And then, you know, we decide, for example, are they running a business? Am I being a partner to that business too and scaling with them? Or they're just renting it for me? Either way works. Either way Um, works. Yeah. Either way works. And you're just doing that. And then for you as the investor to scale, you just go, you open another property another and you just keep opening more properties and have everyone become part of your team and at the same time they're building their services and as they scale they'll want to partner with you again on another property bingo exactly and so scaling is really done exactly like that you start with the one and then most licensed administrators oversee anywhere from two to four homes So we have one administrator who oversees all three of our homes. So we own all the homes, but she's overseeing all of them, right? So you can definitely scale that way by in like sharing that with them, being open with them, telling them, hey, my plan is to own 10 of these. And I'd love you to be the administrator for four of them. And they're going to be excited about that because that's more opportunity for them, right? To make more money or however you want to set that up. So that's absolutely how you do it. Start with one, try to build from there. We always encourage having at least a three pack, three homes within 45 minutes of each other. 
not only because you can share the staff, like I was just saying, but second, when you have one home and you're full, what are you going to do? That person who came to tour, you're going to have to send them to Joe Schmo's home down the street, right? And you just lost that business because senior living is kind of like an avocado. It's too ripe, too ripe. It's perfect. It's bad. It's bad, right? Like when people need it, they need it now. They will call and be like, I need to move my mom in in the next three days. It's not like I'm hunting maybe in two years, maybe in six months. No, it's like a quick thing. They need it because usually the senior broke their hip or had a memory care issue or something of that nature where they now need 24 seven care, you know? Um, so scaling definitely when you have more than one property, you can now share the, the staff and the seniors because a senior comes, Hey, we're full here, but I've got other properties who are run the same, who have the same feel, have the same vibe. And now you can kind of move those seniors around too, and make sure that you can house as many people as possible. Nice. And is there like a maximum they can um, manage? Like, can they, like a licensed assistant, how many properties can they actually be visiting? Or like, is there like minimum hours per property? The licensed administrator, there are limitations on how many they can manage. That's why I say two to four is reasonable. It depends on the state. I've never seen a state that allows more than four. Um, At one time, Arizona didn't have a rule about it. And there was like a lady who was overseeing like 15 homes and it's like, no, you're not. And so it's like, I'm okay with rules and regulations. I don't want just anyone taking care of grandma. I want to make sure that it's the right people who have the right hearts, who are willing to follow the rules, you know? And so I think two to four is comfortable depending on your state. It might be two, three or four really. Nice. And how about, um, I guess another question some people ask too, is like, how does a loan situation work? Like if I'm buying a house, they ask me, are you buying as a primary occupancy investment, you know, second home, things like that. So I guess this will qualify as investment property for them, for them. Yep, absolutely. So that's just how you would set that up. And in our class, we teach seven ways to fund this. So you don't have to use your own funding. A lot of SBA lenders love to lend on this. Um, There's also a couple government programs that you could look into, as well as hard money, private money, bank money, you know, anything like that, syndication, crowdfunding, really whatever you want to do, but you don't have to use your own capital to get started in this. Yeah. Speaking of syndications, I think even like Vinnie Chopra was talking about going into more senior housing and buying more developing brand new developments, big scale developments to fund, to fund senior housing and to really build that because they know the model in the future is, yeah, it's all about senior housing, luxury living at a price point that makes sense for everyone with the care, high level care and making it to luxury, like small communities. Yep. It's really interesting because in the past, when we used to go to the big box conventions, right, the conventions that had all the owners of the Brookdales and the atriums, they're all there and they would kind of laugh at us that we represented the 30,000 smaller homes. They were like, lame, like that, like we own these big facilities with 3000 beds in them. And then COVID happened. And people were ripping their family members out of large facilities, begging to come into our homes because it's a lot easier to control and maintain. It's the same staff in and out every day. It's not a 50 staff members, you know, going around. And um, it was really interesting because then the conventions more recently we've been the center star. They're saying like, teach us everything you're doing. We want to be exactly like you. How do we, 
break down our facilities and make them feel like smaller homes. And so you'll notice that in, in some upcoming new builds of assisted living facilities, the big facilities, they're building, they're, they'll, they'll bulldoze a whole area and build like small, they look like homes, right? A bunch of them in one area, like make like almost like a fake little neighborhood of these homes because they're trying to emulate what we do. It's really interesting. That's nice. That's a, that's a good point, too. Yeah, I've seen that, too, like where a lot of family people, they all moved out of big senior housing because of that. They wanted a small community and the COVID numbers on some places rose up because just the number of people coming in and out. And yeah. a lot of them, too, they stopped all guests coming in, all family coming in. And then yeah. they, they're just isolated to themselves, but they kept the good ones. They kept just the people there and then they didn't have COVID issues. But some of the ones I've seen bigger, like ran into multiple issues with COVID and like, you know, unfortunately for some people. Yeah. Yep. It was really crazy. So we've always said smaller is better. And then 2020 totally proved that. And now all these big facilities are looking to say, how can we look and feel like you guys? So that to me is pretty exciting because it says what we've been thinking and what we've been presenting to people is right on the money. This is the best place to invest. And, you know, like we talked about in the beginning, there's so much demand and the supply just isn't there. So when you're thinking in this grand scheme of life, oh, I'm only going to have three homes or five homes or 10 homes. Who cares? It's a piece of the pie. Like get involved no matter what scale you want to be involved in. If anything, just do one of these homes so that you could live for free or your loved one could live for free when they need this care. If you can cash flow in the meantime, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think, yeah, people, when they look at the numbers, it makes sense and they like to do it in, as an investor or as a business owner as well. Um, something to look at because the numbers can make sense for the ones who want to do that. Um, some questions too would be, how is it different from like a nursing home? How's assisted living different? Like what's the difference? Yeah. So a nursing facility or a nursing home is medical. So IVs, doctors, gurneys, you know, different things of like, like that. So we're, we're, that's kind of after assisted living, you either go to a nursing home or you go to pass on to the next life. Right. So that is kind of the final stage that you may have to go. The only reason someone would leave our homes is those two reasons. We either can no longer take care of you at a quality level and you need to go to a nursing home, right? Because you need medical attention or you pass on. So um, that's kind of that next step up. But in regards to an assisted living facility versus a residential assisted living home, the differences are really in quality of care and then the rates to live there, right? So for us, like we talked about, maybe it's a flat fee of $7,000 based on the physical room you're in and then that level of care. In a large facility, it might also be $7,000, right? So price-wise, we're pretty close. The difference is there, they have a lot of rules. Bath time is on Tuesdays and Saturdays. So if you don't take your bath on Tuesday when they come to do it for you and you want to take it on Wednesday, that's an additional $500 fee. Lunch is from noon to two. If you want to eat at 3 p.m., it's an additional fee. So tick, 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 tick. You get that first bill and it's 9,500. And you're like, what the heck happened, grandma? And she's like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. And then you look and there's all these different things that they'll add on for because you didn't follow their strict regime, you know? And I get it. You've got a lot of people there. You need to keep it moving and get stuff done. But it's very different than in our homes, which are not home-like. They're a home. 
if grandma wants to take a bath on Monday, we'll give her a bath on Monday. Like it's, it's very much like, what do you want? What do you need? This is when, when we walk into their home, we set, we treat it like it's their home. I don't even use those words like my home when I'm there and, and I do interact with the seniors. It's like your home looks beautiful today because I want them to feel like that. I want them to feel this is theirs, you know? Yeah. And I see some um, other ones like senior, senior housing and then um, assisted living care too, but like multi-unit buildings where they have like many units, but they're all being cared for. And they have like a lot of, um, a lot of workers, right? Yeah. Like a facility too, but it's like a more, it feels like a multi-unit building rather than a facility directly, you know? Yeah. Are, so, is, are you thinking it's more, is it more like independent living? Kind of independent. Yeah. Independent living, I guess, in some level of service. I don't know what, what you call that, but like, do they have their own like apartments almost? Yeah. Kind of. Okay. Yeah. So that's probably more independent living, which mm -hmm. on the scale, right. It's like nursing home, assisted living, independent living. So that's before assisted living. So think like golden girls, right? <laughs> Getting there. Or mature women, they need minor help with landscaping, yeah. changing a light bulb, you know, just small things, but they can pretty much live on their own. Yeah. So that is another investment opportunity is that golden girl style or independent living. And we love that. It's a really interesting thing. If you ever see a, uh, they call them campuses, but if you ever see a campus that has independent assisted and nursing all on the same plot, that's usually anywhere from a hundred thousand upwards of a million dollar buy-in. So the senior pays that up front and then they pay their monthly fee. They usually move in an independent after a couple of years. Okay. You need assisted. Then they move and then to nursing. And some of them even have graveyards on their campuses <laughs> and you can just move from one to the other, to the other. And that's called a CCRC continuous care retirement community or center. Yeah. Um, and that's an interesting thing. There's a ton of those in Florida and a ton of them here in Arizona where we are. Um, and that's a cool investment too, but that's definitely targeting a higher end market because a lot of people don't have that money up front unless they sell their home and kind of blow it all on that up front. Yeah, I've seen that before too, actually, like, um, because they had that. I was like, okay, the owner actually, they own like hundreds of units, but had that level, like each building was different. And yeah. then I guess they, they, they progressed along the path of it. Like yeah. Continu continuous care. Continuous care, exactly. Yeah. Cool opportunity. And my my grandmother is in one of those in Florida right now. She's still in the independent. But, you know, she was like, this will, you know, they they, they kind of convinced them, right, that you just have to make one decision. Yes, yeah. to this. And now we'll help you move along. Um, and so it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of fun, too. Like, you're helping them, and then they're having fun, then they have all these activities for them. And then, you know, you're providing that level of care, the level of service, and you're also making, you know, your investment on it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so what interested you to start about going to assisted living route versus any other route? Well, what happened to us is my grandmother, she fell and broke her hip and she, they, they called us, she was living in upstate New York at the time. And they called us and they're like, grandma needs 24 seven care. Who's, what are we going to do? You know? Um, and so we flew up to New York, we toured all the facilities, all the homes that we could find. And we were like disgusted by the options there. We're like, this is our beloved grandmother. Like we're not putting her in these homes that I don't want to leave my goldfish, let alone my grandmother. Um, so we went back to Arizona, we got her in home care, which is where you pay for someone to come to, you know, her home and take care of her one on one. Um, that costs nationally about $24 an hour. So if you need 24 seven care, 
24 times 24 times 30, that's 17 grand a month. <laughs> it is insane. And that 24 is national average. So California, just imagine, I want to say it's about 35 on average per hour in California. Um, it's definitely a short-term option, not a long-term option. Many families can't afford to do that for more than a week or two, right? So we went back to Arizona. We were looking for a place for her because we figured, well, there's got to be more options in Arizona. You know, um, there's a lot of seniors here. Um, and we kind of stumbled into residential assisted living. And then my dad was a real estate investor his whole life. And he chatted with the owner instead of just saying, hey, can my mom come live here? He was like, tell me about the business and kind of dug in deeper with her and then found out that she was looking to sell. And he had never been in this industry at all, only a real estate investor. And he's like, I'll buy the real estate and the business from you. She's like, okay. So we bought the home with the intent to move my grandmother in. My grandmother passed before we could get her to the home, but it really sparked something in him. And then in my whole family, we all quit our jobs and dived right into this because we saw the incredible opportunity to give back to your community, to provide this amazing option for seniors and the impact it has on the adult children who feel so guilty during this time of life. Like it's really hard when your loved one needs this care and you feel bad that you can't be the one to do that for them. And maybe you're not built to be a caregiver. I'm not, you know, so it's, it's a good option to be able to have that. And we just kind of fell in love with it. That was 10 years ago. We now have three homes and we've taught thousands of people how to do this across the country and had a lot of fun along the way. And it's been a really awesome industry to be a part of. And I've never looked back. All in, baby. <laughs> nice. I think, yeah, I think a lot of it comes from family and stories and like, you know, help trying to help someone and then realizing you can do it better and yeah. you want to help out. And now like you're living that, creating and living that legacy where you're helping, you know, for your grandma too, like helping really build facilities where people need it and something enjoyable too. Because even for like for myself, when my parents get old or when I get old, I don't want to go something that's kind of dingy. Like I want to work, yeah. be somewhere nice and I'm going to live my final years somewhere nice and enjoy the rest of it, right? And have fun. Yes. So absolutely. then that's, that's a good point to it. And then the more fun you can make it, the more happy you can see them, the more it gives back to yourself, right. And to your family. A hundred percent. And it's so like, I always say like, when's the last time you're a real estate investor? Like when's the last time one of the people who you're, you know, leasing a home to wrote you like a love letter or gave you a big hug or gave you flowers? Like probably not very often, if ever we get that all the time in our industry, because the adult children who are paying for mom or dad to live in the home, they're super grateful and thankful for this. They, they know the options out there. They did their research. And when they found us, they're so thankful and grateful that this is where their parent is, that their parents being loved, cared for, getting top quality care. And like you said, having fun and just enjoying those last, you know, golden years. So what's um, a part of it too, like what's the toughest part of the job to really help um, get this really running and, to get the investment, to get the loan, to get the business running? What's the toughest parts of it? I think just the fact that there's a lot of steps to this. This isn't something that like every 18 year old can do. Like it's not fix and flip, right? There's no HGTV show about this because there's a lot of rules and regs and paperwork and licensing and different things of that nature. So I do think it's important to like educate yourself and make sure that you really are committed to this and have the grit because not many other opportunities are going to be cash flowing you 13k a month, you know, or or more, but there's a reason why the reward is so high. It's because 
the work to get there is also pretty significant. So I think the big thing to remember is this isn't like an easy opportunity that you can just jump into right away after watching a couple YouTube videos. You've really got to know what you're doing, follow the rules and have like grit and stamina to get through this. Our most successful students, I would say that's their number one quality that ties them all together is they all have a strong why passion they have a purpose and they really like want to do this they're excited about this they're on fire for this and they're they'll knock down walls to get it done you know how long does it take to normally get this up and running so i'm gonna i'll, I'll share with you because there's kind of four ways to get started one is like buying land building a custom home from the ground up we've got a bunch of students in the midwest who do that that could take anywhere from a year to two years right it just depends on how fast that build is, right? Second is you could buy a single family home and convert it to become, depending on how much renovation needs to be done. Is this, we're adding 2000 square feet or is this ramps, guardrails, minor things, right? That one could be three to six months, just depends on how much renovation needs to be done. Third, you're buying an existing home. So you're buying the real estate and the business. That it's really just the transaction of, purchasing the business. So that could be done in one to three months. We, I think we have a student who had within nine months, she had three homes already. So nice. it's possible buying, buying it is definitely the fastest way. And then obviously if you're going to lease it from somebody too, that's already, that's a, another quick way to one to three months, you could kind of get in involved right away. How much does it cost to buy one that's already existing? It's really going to range. And honestly, we go through how to evaluate a business in our training because it's about really you're buying like the business, you're buying the residence, right? Because an empty home is not worth very much. You're buying those residents in there and what their rates are. So you need to determine their rent roles. And then like, is the staff staying? Is the staff going? Like, what's the reputation of this home? Like, all of these different factors kind of level into it, but we've seen people buy them the business for as low as a hundred thousand. And we've seen it as high as 2 million. It really just depends. If you have 16 residents who are all paying $9,000 each, it might be worth a pretty penny, you know, but if you're in Oklahoma and you've got 10 residents paying $3,000 a month, it's a different ball game, you know? So it really just ranges um, but that is definitely something that we, we teach and we kind of cover in our training as well. Nice. And then part of that too, is like, you know, another question too, is like, um, when they start moving in, they live, they live there. Um, there's going to be, you know, turnover, of course, when something has to go to a nursing home or go to their, you know, the final stage is a part of it too. Um, and then is there parts, part of this too is paid by insurance, right? So insurance companies help pay some of this care or is it all the family members taking care of this? Typically, if you have long-term care insurance, that's what we will use. Only 10% of the population has that. So it's actually pretty rare to have somebody who has that. But if they do, that's incredible because it can pretty much cover most of the entire cost for them to stay, which is awesome. For those who've served in a time of war, they might have VA benefits. Some use Medicare, Medicaid. It doesn't pay very much, so it's it's kind of tough. And then a lot of people use their IRA, their investments, cash, or letting their kids figure it out. So uh, most seniors, honestly, buy, they're a lot better at saving than our generations <laughs> are. And a lot of them have, they're sitting on a lot of cash, right? They always say this is going to be the greatest transfer of wealth when the baby boomers go on, but you have to think about that 
if assisted living costs this much, they're saving that money for their care. And depend, we're, a lot of people are living longer. So it's not a transfer of wealth from one generation to another. It's a transfer of wealth from one generation to an assisted living home. <laughs> so I want to be that middle one. And then the kids are getting what's left over. Yeah. And of course, it depends how long they, they're living for and being there for. So that's a tough part, too, because it's, it's unknown. And hopefully they live a long time. But, you know. Yeah average about three and a half years is how long they're in the home. So if you're paying $9,000 a month for three and a half years, that's a long time. And that's a lot of money, you know, to have to have saved up. A lot of adult children pay for their parents care needs, which is also something to think about. If you don't have siblings who are going to help pitch in, and you're the one who's, you know, well off and, and has the money, this is something you're going to be stuck with. But if you own the home, they can live for free there and you're still cash flowing. Nice. Yeah, it's good to know. It's something to think about for people who want to invest in this this part of it too. So how do people like reach out to you? How do they learn more? How did they get started? Yeah, our, we have a ton of free resources at ral101.com. We've got books, webinars. You can have a discovery call with us if you want to chat more with me. Um, RAL101 is a great place to get started. Cool. So they can go there, they can contact you guys, learn more, have a discovery call, see if it's the right fit for them and go, go move on from there. Yeah. What's some, what do you see? One of the last questions is like, what do you see in 2022 happening right now for your industry? Oh, what's been really interesting is just, um, I think I was mentioning it earlier with like COVID. I think we're seeing a lot of the big facilities trying to like be a copycat of what we're doing and really run their homes kind of the way we are which I foresee there being a lot more rules and regulations in play in favor of them, right? Um, so we created the RAL National Association, which represents the 30,000 smaller care homes across the country right now. So if in your area, there's anything that's coming up, that's a regulation, because I like to watch the whole country. If something gets passed in Pennsylvania, the odds of it getting passed in Utah shot up because you know, if they can then say, well, it passed over there. So you you don't just want to watch your market in your area. You do kind of want to keep a pulse on the country and what's going on and what's happening. And um, with the REL National Association, we do have those like legal updates and legal alerts. So if something's going on that we need signatures for or power for, we'll like blast it out to the whole, all the homeowners across the country and be like, let's get on board. Let's fight for this. Because I do foresee, because they're trying to get into our industry, them also trying to kind of ruin what we're doing. Um, so it's important to kind of be a part of that power and be a part of that fight and make sure that if they are going to make change, that it's also impacting us in a positive way. Yeah, that's a very important point too. Like always, you know, you should work with your local associations, your small associations who are fighting for your small business who are growing because in reality, the big boys and, and companies, you know, they're going to go fight and try to win themselves, right? They'll do what yeah. they need to do to, to take advantage of the and level the playing field to their favor, not to our favor, to their favor, Absolutely. right? That sucks. Even the syndications too, the big syndication companies who institutions, they're going to fight for what they want, not what we want as a small one. They'll try to knock us out. Absolutely. So you got to make sure that you're in your association, standing up for the good little guys. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And any final thoughts to help inspire people to move forward in 2022 with assisted living and like how they can really jumpstart and like the pain points they didn't you know move forward with? 
You know, I think, um, especially because of a lot of your listeners are California, I always like to share, live where you want, invest where makes sense. You know, um, you don't have to do this in your state. 31% of REL owners are remote owners. So it's not a necessity to do it, you know, there in California, but there is a massive need in California. So no matter what you want, you can make this work. You know, if you've got, if you're very liquid, then you might be fine, but there's also opportunities in other other states and then you can be even more passive and even more hands-off because you're physically further away so you can't deal with any of the day-to-day dramas either so I think that's just something to consider for any of your uh, California listeners cool all right thank you guys so much for being on the truth about real estate podcast we'll see you guys in the next one have a great day